Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast. I'm Sultan Ghaznawi, your host. Today's episode covers product localization, a topic that is not very well discussed in our industry. I have invited E.T. Sahai to speak about this area of language services. E.T. leads localization at Procore, which is a global construction technology platform. She has 15 plus years combined experience in international business and localization, delivering international growth through product-led localization strategy and best practices that fully engage targeted international audiences. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, E.T. Hi, thank you for having me. Please uh, tell me about yourself and how you got to find yourself in this industry. I'm interested in hearing that story. Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, I know that um, most of my colleagues and peers um, listening might agree with me that um, we all, you know, find our way into localization through uh, a beautiful cosmic accident. I like to think of it that my journey in localization started because even though I didn't start out um, choosing localization, it chose me. So I feel special in that way. Uh, my journey started um, professionally in the Indian film industry. So I believe I'm a storyteller at heart and stories have connected us, you know, as, as people, as, uh, um, as generations, as a community uh, throughout, through time, right? So that's, that's something that's important to me as a value is to find that connection and to be able to tell a story. And um, as I, you know, grew my career in more of international growth and international business and working for global organizations uh, in different industries, I, I found my way to localization, which is now a way I'm able to tell the story of a company, of a product to a new culture, to a new audience, and still satisfy the creative storyteller um, in me. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, uh, that story. Can you tell me how you saw localization was different in terms of your expectation, how things were done in the industry when you joined? Sure. Um, when, so as I said, I have been a part of the international business um, elements of different organizations and industries that I've been a part of through my career so far. When the opportunity presented itself for me to work for an LSP, I had, you know, several years of experience working on the buyer side, on the client side. So my view of the process was, I would say, um, very limited. And allowing myself to explore localization as an industry, as a discipline, gave me more insight and perspective into how things are actually done, you know, how the business actually um, continues. And, and in a way, you know, the magic behind the scene, the little veil of um, all the stakeholders that are involved. And so um, how was it different was, I would say that on the buyer side, I only had a limited view into the process, into the discipline. However, having the experience and the opportunity to work on the vendor side gave me much more appreciation for this industry and uh, for everyone involved in during the workflow and to you know realize um, a project um, from inception to its fruition. And uh, more importantly, it allowed me to build that empathy towards my vendors and towards uh, my localizers. Well, that's an interesting perspective. And so because this is Women in Business Month, uh, this month, actually, the month of October, can you tell me uh, how, as a woman, you found um, to to operate in this, this industry? Did you find it welcoming? Did you find issues or challenges that you had to deal with? That's an excellent question. I I like to, um, you know, I'm first of all, um, Women in Localization is an organization that's very close to my heart. I am on the Texas um, chapter board and I lead mentorship for our group. So it's um, all the question is very tied, uh, you know, closely to my my uh, curiosity, my interest and my passion. And I believe a true woman leader or anyone in leadership, um, when a woman rises in leadership or in the ranks of her career or the industry she's in, it shouldn't be that she creates a space for herself that everyone looks up to. I am a firm believer that as a woman, when you rise or when you grow, you uplift everyone around you, along with you. And 
specifically my interaction with um, you know localization as an industry is that every time I enter a room, be it you know a, a real world experience or be it now more so a virtual experience, a room full of localizers, I immediately instantly find my sense of belonging. There hasn't been a time that I have been on a virtual chat or in an in-person chat with anyone in this industry, be it a linguist, be it a leader, um, you know, leading localization efforts, be it a localization engineer. Just about everyone is so open and so welcoming because they have this love and appreciation for other cultures. They have a love and appreciation for language and diversity. Which is something which is something I value and I absolutely adore about our industry is that there is an instant connection. There is an instant sense of hey, I want to know you and I want to be your friend because uh, you know I I think this this conversation is going to be interesting that we're about to have and that is absolutely something that I I lean into as well. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I think we are as an industry opening up a lot and and we are now a lot more innovative uh, and I think uh, diversity plays a role as well. So I'm I'm glad to hear those thoughts that you have. The subject of our conversation today is the evolution of product localization. I think it's an area that um, you know a lot about and given that there is so much confusion and uh, misunderstanding about product localization. Please tell us what it is and what are we getting wrong about it? Um, Thank you for that question. As far as um, product localization is concerned, we first need to understand what really a product is, right? So I'd like to take a step back and provide that clarification. There are multiple ways we can look at it, but the standard way of, um, from a buyer's perspective, how we are, how do we ideally approach it is for any company on the buyer side, whatever product or service we sell is our eventual product. It could be SaaS, it could be a physical product, it could be an experience, whatever that is, is our physical product. For the ease of explaining, um, I would um, like to take my favorite example, which is that of a, a telephone charger. The telephone charger by its mechanics is the same, right? To charge the phone. However, the the plug point that we use to um, integrate it with the power outlet on the wall is different by region, by country. So even though our main core product is the same, which is that of a charger, it all it does is its purpose is to deliver charge to the phone. The way we connect it is different. And that is perhaps a way to understand localization because there is two distinct prongs to it. First one being that it needs to be customizable or configurable as a product into the region that we need to sell it in, right? Without the correct power plug or the power outlet, that product is basically useless. Nobody can use it because the voltage will differ. Uh, there are different um, mechanical latencies that would have, um, you know, occur as a result of which, which would not allow us to fully be able to utilize that product. So it's a waste. The second is um, customizing it so that people understand how to use your product even. And, and without, you know, using a lot of analogy, if I was to uh, put it more in the perspective of software as a product in be it a enterprise level B2B SaaS or a customer facing product, which could be an app on a website. Um, the product itself needs to first be able to have the flexibility within its construction, within its platform to configure to the regional needs. But at the same time, the other effort which needs to be factored into it is the language component to truly make it um, relatable and appropriate for the market. Well, I remember this um, actually as an example. I think a few years ago, one of the Japanese car makers made an SUV and uh, it was built for United Kingdom, I believe. But the uh, the trunk door, the back door of the SUV would open up in a way that it would block the road. So I think that's an example of bad localization. Absolutely. And that would be the the product localization which is that they didn't customize it for the region so you've been as you said both on the buyer side and uh, on the seller or lsp or provider side you know this industry from many angles what does product localization mean for the different players for example for the lsp do they get it or is it treated like any other translation order so for an lsp if they were to look at product localization to them if we are taking the example of a software or app or a web platform, anything that is included in the user interface, right? Anything that is right. facing content, which is- we, the, We're talking about digital in this case, right? Exactly, yes. Which would be the UI, uh, which is the user interface. And, and mostly that would be a part of the content 
localization project, which the LSP will receive. So um, they are really not customizing the product to the region, which is a regionalization of the product or a product market fit, because that is more of a configuration that will fall under the purview of the product and the engineering teams right. uh, on the buyer side. However, um, for, for an LSP, it would be the UI content, which eventually the end user in region, in market, utilizing the product will see or interface and interact with is what they're essentially going to localize. And uh, so from what I understand, I mean, what, what the LSP sees is a, a small component of the product localization. Uh, a lot of that happens at, at um, the client side. Um, now, in order for an LSP to deliver 100% value for the component that's assigned to them, do they need to, for example, study the user experience of the end product in order to understand what the language should look like? You know, it has worked for me uh, the best to really partner with my my LSPs, my vendors, and giving them the, the authority and the ability to interact with the product because when they just see random strings, for instance, right. to truly understand the context of where that string is being used and what is the action that is imploring the end user to perform. Right. What sort of an experience um, should the end user have with that string interaction? It is essential that the vendor, um, the LSP, has the ability and the insight into the product because without which they're really not able to justify the value um, and their time towards towards the end user experience. So content is growing, products are evolving, and, and processes are constantly changing. Please explain to me how your peers on the buyer side should prepare for the upcoming evolution that AI will bring with it in terms of product localization. Now, first and foremost, I would say that um, as, as a new technology emerges, the first response usually we have is that, is it going to eliminate jobs? Is it going to impact us in a negative way? And that is, I would say that's 100% normal response right because i want to know how is this new technology you know when uh, when the auto industry was revolutionized by automation that was one of the biggest concerns however if we think of it differently that yes ai is going to change processes by including automation and that automation is going to also be not just the translation side of things the actual translating of the content and with neural AI, like how is it going to predict the predictability of the content and the translations are going to be impacted with AI essentially being empty on steroids. How will that impact our project management and our, our project workflows as well? And instead of thinking of it as an adversary, if we shift our focus and we really think of AI as an ally to level up to really improve our skills and to provide value to the business in the sense that we are aligning ourselves to the business impact and really um, making our, our roles indispensable and creating value for the organization that even if there is automation in place, what it does is that it helps us do our roles more effectively, efficiently, so we can focus more on um, long-term impact and long-term value. Right, right. And, and AI is, is a tool at the end of the day. It, it augments our work, uh, from what I understand. It, it makes us hopefully do things uh, a little bit faster than what we, we were able to do. Absolutely. Um, I recently, um, you know, we organized a panel about AI, in fact, and how that's going to transform the future of project management uh, for my Women in Localization Texas chapter, which was a really engaging conversation. And it's, it's something that I absolutely believe in, that for organizations that are at scale, that are large organizations and have billions of words of translation volume every year it is it's humanly impossible for the project management team to have first that level of staff or that number of staff members um, to push those files through but at the same time if we don't want the limited teams that we have to be overwhelmed we need to create efficiency into our process and AI if anything is going to make us more efficient it's able to predictably eliminate any risk and it, it is good at what it does and of course we have a inherent bias we can build into it which is inevitable because AI is built by humans and humans have bias so right. oh, <laughs> we absolutely 
build that into it to really um, support our growth and support our vision and, and to support our roles and our industry overall over time. And uh, let's talk uh, in general now. Um, I'm talking about your experience. From my conversations with uh, many of our colleagues on the buyer side, I get a sense that they have difficulty explaining the value that localization teams bring to the organization. Uh, we're considered more or less, uh, you know, an afterthought. That's, I, I think, a cliche. But the localization teams are not as visible as other other departments. By generating value through localization, what is your department contributing to the success of your organization? So first and foremost, I would say that in order, and this is what I have done, right? And I can share from my experience sure. how I have rebranded localization for organizations that I've been a part of um, in my career. From the moment you you know enter a room, localization is a cost center. Usually that's the conversation that happens that it's a cost center, it's an afterthought, international is always last. And um, even though we're exotic and we're amazing to work with, it slows the process down and nobody wants <laughs> to invite that uh, delay in from the very inception of the discovery or the design or the build of any product, right? However, what I have done, and it has worked for me in order to rebrand localization, is when, especially in product-led companies, product is the tip of the spear that we're going to enter the market with. However, for an international product and to accelerate that international growth, the tip of that tip has to be localization through which you enter market and you support international growth effort. So I have empowered my teams and encouraged the conversation within organization to think of global first. It is built in every team's process over time. And mind you, this is a this is a huge lift. It's not something that you have the first conversation with the first executive you see and boom, the change will happen. Change happens over time and change is usually um, at times received with a bit of hesitation, if not resistance. And however, it is for us to change our own narrative and we have that ability. So I, as an international growth leader who supports um, international growth and go-to-market efforts through localization, I'm an expert at what I do and I have an opinion. I just need to feel empowered enough to share my opinion and encourage others to listen. Um, uh, change it comes with a bit of discomfort. And, and um, just like you go to gym in order to change <laughs> your health, I guess, if you want to change your process, you have to also yeah. deal with a bit of a discomfort and pain. And explaining that to your team, it's it's not normally easy, but once you demonstrate the value, I think um, they'll get it and, and they'll see that over time their work will be easier. They'll probably you know, they'll be seen in a different light. Isn't that so? Absolutely. I don't think localization is a service center. I would like to give a very nice courtesy to everyone who thinks of localization and, you know, uh, provide them my congratulations for thinking of it. However, that's not how I like to operate and not how I like to message and brand localization within within um, you know my teams and my organization. To me, it is a it's a critical part of international growth. So I champion my own cause and um, as as my own best advocate, I um, you know I have conversations with literally everyone involved in the process and then some because the more visibility I can create for my cause, the more people will feel encouraged to have that conversation. And at times, if you don't know anything about something there, if somebody is hesitant to ask a question, I know there are multiple people. If one person is feeling that way, there are numerous people feeling that way. Right. So it is for me to create the onus is on me to create that inviting, um, inviting space for folks to lean in and have that conversation so that they feel encouraged really to have the conversation because I want to share my opinion with them and I feel empowered enough to share it. The one thing that works is to understand um, the language of the stakeholders, um, no pun intended, even though we are in the business of localization translation, it is imperative uh, to our success that we understand how each stakeholder thinks, right? When you're talking to marketing leadership versus sales leadership versus product leaderships versus engineering leadership, design leadership, everyone has um, a different business challenge that they're trying to solve, right? And they're leading their effort 
um, with that business challenge in mind. However, once I can communicate with them in the terms that they will understand, I first need to understand their business challenge so I can find a potential possible solution for it. And once I have that communication with them and I have the conversation and I'm able to show that business impact the the initiative I'm recommending would drive, they are more than willing to lean in and support because they can see over time the benefit and the outcome, right? And the one thing that I like to um, set the record straight with, I would say in from the very beginning is that localization is a revenue enabler. Once again, localization is a revenue enabler. It is not a revenue generator. It enables international growth efforts. It enables our time to market efficiency. However, for the mindset, which I, uh, pardon me, but it, it really to me feels quite dated in the sense of approach that let's flip the switch on numerous languages and boom, we'll be successful, is, is quite um, ill-represented. It isn't that allowing numerous languages um, in the product or in the content that's user-facing would determine and confirm our success. We can be the first in market. However, how do we guarantee we're the best in market? We can guarantee that if we really have listened to our customer, their needs, and created a content strategy, a localization strategy, and a product strategy, a language strategy, a partner, you know, a regional partnership strategy, customized to our um, to our users' need. And that is the one thing that is imperative to our success is to understanding that. And I think you alluded to this earlier, but uh, to add to that, what is the best way or mechanism to demonstrate that value to that you're generating to all your stakeholders so that they can buy into what you're proposing? So some of the practical things that one can do in order to show the value, right? Whichever organization that you're a part of, um, every company, every organization has a way to track their success. There are certain specific metrics that literally every company follows, right? The the methodology could be different. Um, They could be, um, you know, uh, aligning with certain KPIs or OKRs or um, a North Star metric that your team needs to follow. However, understanding ROI is an overarching, it's an overarching theme, which tactically you can um, you can narrate through either aligning with the OKRs or the North Star or the KPIs, or even determining um, and defining the business impact, which at times it's not quantitative, but it's qualitative and 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 do user research you know get on a discovery call with a customer or two really understand from them as to what is important for them if you are close enough to the product team or you have access to product managers um lean in reach out to them and um and express to them that you you'd like to be on a customer call just as a fly on a wall to understand from this international customer as to what is important to them. And at the end of the day, everything ties to the company's vision or, or the strategic um, objectives that they have set forth. And, and and somehow, if you can connect the localization value that you're delivering to that strategic uh, objective, I, I guess people will understand it a little bit better. Absolutely. That's exactly, um, that's exactly it. It's to understand what the mission and the vision of your company is and what are the specific um, that, that they're trying to drive and achieve and align your work and your effort to those metrics. So it, 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 tell me about why there is a disconnect between the localization team and content creators today. What would it mean if those in the content generation space knew that, you know, what goes on in, in localization down the stream in this process? So as far as North America is concerned, I would say the one disconnect between content creators and the localization effort is essentially that the content is created in a silo. And that right. silo is English, which is US-based or you know Canadian English. And we are really spending a lot of time and effort into making that messaging absolutely perfect because this is um, a large portion of the market that we're catering to or our teams are Sitting here, um, you know, our, our content strategy team, our content creation team, they are based out of here. So it's it's a very, very um, focused, um, and a very regional approach that we're taking towards it. However, in order to truly be able to create content which would be best aligned with our localization effort, we need to start thinking along the lines of region of agnostic or um, 
re region agnostic or language agnostic content, which that consideration needs to be built into our um, content strategy and our content creative creation strategy, right? Because all it would do is invariably create that empathy for the end user by not focusing the content so much on the on the you know the North American market or whichever market you operate in, but outline the content in a sense that it is localizable where we are able to convey the true message of that content to our end user and invariably provide them with a delight in our product. So in other words, the product needs to be internationalized before it gets localized so that it, uh, for every culture, every market, it can feel as if it was natively developed within that cultural parameters and, 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 and you know, based on the historical norms that exist there, it appeals to people, that local population. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and who, who, whose job is that? Is that the localization team or should there be another division looking at that to prepare the content for localization to, to, to be done that way? So when it comes to specifically um, content, um, depending on the size or the scale of your company, there should be a, a content strategy team and you know it, it would fall largely under your UX team where there would be a group of content creators and um, strategists and researchers who are working together to come up with the, with the user facing content. And it, it helps greatly if you have a you know, professional relationship with this group, if you're able to show examples um, of how a region agnostic content can really deliver most value within the UI of the product and um, come up with tools and tricks that can support them in even building and creating that empathy for the end user. It could be um, you know, some sort of setup within their um, design tool that they're using so that they can have a better adaptable design even for the product, uh, which is factoring in content expansion and compression or you know even pseudo localization whatever that is really partner with them and try to create champions for yourself to your point i think that would save an organization from a lot of problems we've seen these localization blunders that have happened in, in, in large organizations actually um it, it will save you money and face if um, you know if you study that culture and that market well enough ahead of time before you do localization because in localization basically you're taking your internationalization strategy and you're just applying it to, to language and culture. But if, as you said, if you don't have a team of researchers and content strategists who studied this ahead of time, then you're not protecting yourself against all these scenarios. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that it's hard for me to say if, you know, right off the bat, there will be, um, you know, leadership having buy-in to your idea of having a region-specific research group or region-specific content creators. However, you can show them with little steps that if we have, you know, design capability built in, which doesn't cost the company anything, it is just a change of mindset that we need to think of global first or international as well in our discovery and our design process. It'll just make for a better, better experience for the end user. And of course, you know, when we have those design flexibility built in, um, in early on in our process, to your point, it saves immense uh, face when we are you know, going to market and the product uh, is localized and it looks wonky, it doesn't look like there was enough thought put into it. So you have to go in then retroactively fix the design flaws. And that is a huge tech debt, which is time and money that slows down the go to market and uh, puts, us, puts the company in, in a tough spot. And your suggestion is that the leadership should be involved and supportive of, of the interna internationalization and localization strategy from day one, I guess. Yes, I believe in global first for an organization to truly be um, and call themselves a global organization. Global first has to be a consideration in their discovery, their design, their development and their deploy. Like it has to be at each stage of their product life cycle. Global first to be built in it has to be baked in however it is a huge lift it's not an easy it's not an easy thing when we're asking of this whole transformation in the sense of how we think and instead of i mean there are a couple of ways you can do it right either you can show the value to a leader and be like hey this is what i've done and this is you know because in my purview i have i work with marketing teams i work with ux product and engineering for each of those groups i have created um a set of best practices 
instructions, enablement that they can employ within their workflow as part of the definition of done, which is not mandated. It is not a policy because policies tend to scare people away and they're scary. So we don't want that. We want to be the friendly localizers and the friendly international growth team. So with that enablement and the definition of done, they have those guidelines as best practices they can employ within their process if their product or you know the, the, the product is going international. And even if it isn't, they can factor it in now so that they're eliminating that future tech deck, right? So they are putting themselves in a place where they'll be successful when and if the product does go international, even if it is not international right now or that feature that they're working on, right? And for engineering, it would be the internationalization standards, um, be it for the web team or the app, uh, for the mobile team, there are different internationalization standards, which you can work with the engineers, you know, work with, um, the team of devs to come up with. Uh, it has to be customized to each organization. I don't think there's a boilerplate that's plug and play because those standards are used differently in the tech stack for different companies. So you'd have to have that collaborative effort with them. For UX, it could be design enablement. It could really be providing them with glossaries and key terms that they can plug and play into their initial design iterations or even in their final design iteration iteration right so they can really see what this that design would look like um or those terms would look like if they're working on uh, you know a specific button or a specific part of the uh, of that page so to speak for product that is a more complex approach where you are um as a localization leader really leaning in to understand the, the product market fit requirements and how you can support, you know, either a release strategy or providing them with certain tools to really support their go-to-market effort or to make their product um, more international ready, more focused on a multilingual user experience, be it um, providing suggestions or getting on those customer calls, as I said, to understand the business pain that the customer is going through or what challenge they're going through. So you can really partner with product to supply that. And for marketing, it's, you know, it's the obvious, um, the web and the collateral, which could also be, you know, with the CS group as to the training videos or the user facing content and how you are partnering with them to create the appropriate seed data. So the user doesn't feel that they're using, you know, for instance, an English product in uh, their language. They have the seed data, they have the screenshots that apply to them. So it, it has to be baked in into the mindset of the organization as to how do we become a global first um, company and, and how do we how do we take that ownership in our each groups to to forward that that thought. Um, I guess your department or um, the localization uh, manager and any organization has an important role to play. And and as we talked about earlier, it's almost a cliche that localization or translation is an afterthought. It's it's nobody thinks about it until there is a need for it. Is that because we have deliberately kept it that way, or is this uh, industry and the work it does is not? well explained to people, in particular, the leadership and C-level executives? I would, I would definitely say that this is, you know, the onus of this is on, is on us, is in our industry, our, um, you know, our, our localizers, wherever we are plugged in to the buyer side, that there is definitely an opportunity for us to educate up and educate across as to the value we bring. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we each of us have an opinion, right? We are the experts at what we do. It's just that we've been made to believe over time that we are a cost center and we need to come towards the end of the go to market. Um, however, we need to change that narrative for ourselves. We need to show business in terms of have conversations, have those you know difficult, tough conversations because they are rooted in, in deep care and it's not coming from a place of uh, spite. You really care about the business, right? We care about right, what right. we do. We love what we do. We nerd out on what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely love it. So why not show the business that, hey, this stuff is important. You're spending three months creating copy for an, um, you know, for an English page, which will just be released to, you know, 60% of our or 40% of our user base. However, what about the rest of the world? You are spending two weeks 
in a quick turnaround time, which doesn't do that user the experience, you know, the, the justification in terms of the value they're getting and in, in their experience. And you need to invest more time into it. And if we are a global first company and we have our our um, mindset towards that, then we can bake that into our process and, and truly be able to deliver that delight to our end user because we've given it enough thought. It's not a riffraff like, you know, sort of quickly, you know, hustle and bustle, like, you know, just do it. Um, right. Why is it taking, you know, two weeks and why can't you do it in, in a day? Because uh, it's just translation. The onus is on us to really um, rebrand our narrative and to, and to, I really want everyone who's listening truly to feel that empowerment in the sense that we have the ability to create our narrative. And and now is the best time because there are so many things that have been put into perspective for businesses across the world that international is imperative. It is inevitable. It is going to happen. Whether the business likes it or not, sooner than later, international is going to happen. So for us to champion our cause and to show that value and to be that polite squeaky wheel, which I take great pride in um, in being one myself. <laughs> Be that polite squeaky wheel, have a conversation, understand the challenges that my stakeholders are trying to solve so that I can align, align with that and show them the value I can bring. I'm glad these conversations are happening because at the end of the day, if we raise the profile of this industry, it means not only we are garnering more respect for uh, the professionals and the kind of work they do, but at the same time, we are making things easier as we are going through this generational shift. Um, a lot of us are getting out of the industry. We're retiring and, and some are, some new people are coming in. So we are making life easier for them. I mean, uh, I'm sure things are a lot easier now compared to 90s or 80s when you know we had to deal with a completely different culture and mindset. So I'm really happy that these conversations are happening and, and people like yourself, you're thinking in a different frequency level compared to uh, what we had before. So let me get back to product localization because that's uh, the topic of this uh, discussion today. So uh, with, with the product, there's a lot more that happens, right? Please explain it to us. So um, I like to think of it as you know the hierarchy of localization. If you were to imagine a pyramid, at the bottom of the pyramid is globalization, which is referring to our international business practices and how the business is conducted across the world, across different countries. So our infrastructure um, and how that um, is all connected, you know, how our um, unified tools sort of work in order to have a, a, a seamless enterprise experience for the product to be built on. A level up from this baseline is regionalization, where it is essentially pertaining to the product market fit configuring the product for it to be usable, uh, going back to the, you know, the example of the car in the trunk or the uh, power outlet and the plug, how do we configure it to make it actually usable in the region? Uh, the one level up from that is internationalization, which essentially conveys to the tech stack or the mechanics of getting the baseline ready so when we reach the tip of the or the top of this of this pyramid, which is localization pertaining to the messaging of the content, are we truly able to deliver the most value? Um, so how it has um, to your question, how is it different from um, doing any other kind of translation is because there are certain things that as localizers we can take ownership of in terms of you know if you're working on the buyer side to really partner with the business to identify those challenges so that you can put a plan in place or involve the right stakeholders to mitigate the risk downstream but at the lsp side you need to also partner with the product team on your buyer side to understand the product truly so you're able to provide the most value within the user experience once you localize the product. Thank you for that answer. Uh, it clarifies a lot for me in particular, and I'm sure everyone else listening will also have a lot of uh, clarification on that. And uh, what type of people are best suited for leading and managing product localization teams? I mean, localization by itself is a very tedious type of work. You need a lot of patience and uh, I'm sure you know this, but uh, you also need a lot of um, you know support from different people. So you have to have a good network of people and so on. So for uh, product localization uh, teams or someone leading it, uh, what type of traits or skills do you need? So product localization, and I've had conversations within the industry with my peers um, because you know localization over the last 
decade or a little more than that, I would say, has been seen as a cost center and, you know, it's more aligned with marketing or, or revenue teams or sales effort, right? right? But the wider accepted <laughs> image of localization or, you know, where it sits within the organization is that it, uh, you know, it's an afterthought or however you want to put it. However, initially when localization started, especially with the advent of SaaS companies and with, um, I would say, even technology companies and software specifically, localization was sitting very close to engineering. It was, um, the reason behind it was because the engineers were internationalizing the product. And so as a matter of fact, the next step is to localize a product. So localization was sitting very closely to the engineering teams. Uh, most recently, the discipline of product has emerged um, in the industry when it comes to physical products or even um, you know, software or experience is the term product. And product is essentially going to be aligned within the R&D or uh, product and technology, um, which a lot of um, you know, organizations sort of rebrand themselves to calling it P&T um, instead of R&D because it's, you know, that's a more um, dated way of presenting product engineering and UX under. Right. However, um, however your com company chooses to, um, you know, to announce themselves, that's quite okay. As far as pro if, if you have um, alignment with product, as far as a type of people who would succeed in this is, or in this space, is that you need to be a person who's comfortable working with a lot of stakeholders because ideally you are actively iterating on the on the product and the content and working with strategy and really being you know elbows deep into the process so there is a lot of stakeholder management that you need to be comfortable with because it is not coming to you at the end of everything right when everything is said and done and you have an english copy and that's when you need to just push it through the system to send it to the vendor to be localized ideally you are partnering with product ux you're partnering with your go-to-market team with strategy you are really uh front and center of of the action so you have the front row seat to everything and in fact you're driving most of it and so the other thing, aside from that stakeholder management and working with different um, folks in the different areas of expertise, is that you need to be able to communicate with them in the language that they understand. When you're communicating with a developer, that's going to be um, a very different conversation that you will have where you need to really show them the value in terms of um, you know, tech stack and um, tech debt, because those are the things they understand, right, in terms of the effort and how they can um align it and integrate it into their agile development process however uh, when you're talking to a senior executive perhaps you need to have the conversation more which is aligned with the strategy and more aligned with the business impact. exactly and um, the strategy and the impact and the roi or the okr whatever you need to align with so that flexibility in terms of your narrative and communication has to be a part of who you are right to truly be successful um but more important than anything the one thing you should know is that if you're aligned with product no matter what anyone says to you no matter what anyone says to you product is a discipline that welcomes people from different experiences work personal life experiences and and it also encourages the thought diversity and the communication style diversity so every time or any time you get you know the chance to be aligned with product or to be working and sitting with the product team don't believe anything anyone tells you otherwise because it's not true and i know it firsthand because i've had certain experiences where people try to tell me stuff and i'm like please don't tell me <laughs> about how i should see myself or you know what you think um, my background should look like because the reality is there is no certain set background a product manager should have. So if I, as a localization leader in international growth, align with product, I create my own custom, if you would, um, description of experience because that's the uniqueness I bring to the plate, right? There are, there are folks um, in product disciplines who come from 
financials, um, you know, who've been in, in investment banking and and then they are working on, you know, perhaps a, a fintech product because that's a part of their journey and that's the expertise they bring. They are they have no experience working with engineers at times or very limited knowledge of, you know, development even, but they learn. So and they can carry that expertise from one discipline to another. They just apply it. Maybe there's more value in that as opposed to having someone who's a template. Absolutely, absolutely, 101%. So the one thing which I would say as a takeaway in terms of what sort of people are best suited for product localization teams, I would like to sum it up as someone who is able to manage um, stakeholders and has that flexibility in their communication, someone who's curious to learn, eager to learn, isn't afraid of asking questions because that just shows that you are engaged and you want to learn, you're curious, you're eager. And last, but most importantly, that you are creative because you will need that creativity in solving problems for each of the units of business that you interact with and in coming up with unique processes for each stakeholder you have and to really present what you want the business you know, impact to be in in terms of the narrative you present to the business, you need to be really creative in your storytelling. So that is something I would say is important for your success as a as a product localization lead. Thank you. That's that's as clear as it can get. Let's let's move along. And uh, I think just uh, like product features, the localization features of that product must also be properly documented and explained. And a process must exist to support the different kinds of work that goes into them. Can you talk about that? Who's responsible for it? How is that generated and and how is that maintained over time? So it depends on, you know, how your team is aligned. I would say that if you're a localization leader who's aligned with product, uh, specifically sitting within product, um, you have, I would say, the authority and the autonomy to really drive that process. But you can't create a process in a silo. So it has to, again, go back to the partnership with the stakeholder that you are creating that process for and understand what is important to them. Is um, a quick turnaround important to them? Do they really want, you know, um, uh, multiple post human editing steps? Do they need some functional testing? Really understand from them as to what is important and how you can deliver the most value to that group before you um, before you begin to iterate and define that process for them. because. Right. The reality is it's not going to be a one size fit all and you need to have the flexibility and the creativity as you design that process. And you may need to adapt it from market to market. So the same process that works in Europe may not work in some Asian country. Absolutely. You talked about localization enabling international growth earlier. Can you tell me how do you structure your product localization team? Like, do you need them to be in the country where the product is sold or does this team need to be centrally located? So that totally depends um, on the size and the scale of your organization. And really, um, you know, at times resources could be potentially hard to get right away. Um, Instead of having a product leader in region, you might have uh, several regional uh, product marketing managers, which are going to be important stakeholders in your success. Um, So I would say as far as structuring the team within product is concerned, most definitely, if you don't have an international product team or international product leadership, partner with the product managers who are working on different features or working on the platform initiatives so that you can understand from them and have a general sense check of what features they're working on or what enhancements they're working on and if there is an opportunity for you to collaborate. Right. While we are at it, uh, defining this process, um, as you said, it's a holistic approach. Multiple stakeholders are involved and um, uh, this localization comes at a cost, of course, and then you have to justify that. How do you justify the cost compared to simple translation that would get from converting words? So to, in, in full honesty, I don't, I, to me, the cost per word or the cost of translation doesn't matter. Because to me, what matters is the value I'm bringing to my end user. And how do you justify that? How do you demonstrate that to the stakeholders? To the stakeholders, I mean, it's it's a it's a complex conversation depending on what is the outcome uh, that you want to drive from that conversation, right? right. Um, the most important thing for me is to have a very succinct and very targeted strategy when it even comes to go to market, right? So, for a certain country in Asia, our our thinking is that it it's a you know it's a, a very diverse region. So let's have three languages 
when we go to market. But the reality is, have we done any any research or have we done our initial discovery for the language strategy as to who is the end user who's using the product versus who is the decision maker who is going to you know sign the dotted line on buying the product? So having a, a, a language strategy is extremely important, and that of course you know you bring that value to the either the strategy team or to your product uh international product group or your product leadership whoever you you know customer global customer experience or the customer experience team that you're a part of um and at the same time the cost is really it's 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 just a very um short-sighted way of looking at the um the outcome because translation could be one of the things right that could guarantee or would support our success rather in the region but the product needs to have regional pricing uh, factored in as well you can't have a product priced at the us dollar rate and count for the arr uh, based on that uh, based on the potential you know target um, accessible market that you have for the industry so there are multiple things that um, that factor into it, but translation cost is limited because you know cost per word is limited. However, the cost per word is quite a limited way of looking at it because there is a larger effort in terms of um, there could be regional stakeholders and you know the administrative cost that could be that could be a, a heavier lift and could be you know more um, visible as opposed to just uh, you know the money spent towards the translation itself talked about localization strategy earlier and how the leadership should be involved. Uh, where do you see the product localization efforts fit into the overall company strategy? It's very much in alignment and uh, in support of the go-to-market. So if um, you have a strategy team, which is a corporate strategy team or international strategy team, and they have a go-to-market effort um, articulated, uh, the product needs to be product localization needs to be factored into it. And how I like to put product localization and the content localization strategy is that if you think of it as a linear, you know, if we are to look at it on a, you know, in a, in a line, in a straight line, the end user experience or the first asset or advertisement or an ad on YouTube or however we are interacting and, and surfacing to our end user is the first the first point of contact with our end user, which kind of factors back in into the next collateral is perhaps our website they go to or our email we send them, bringing them all the way to our product to use our product. However, the product localization strategy starts from within the product itself. How have we customized our product? Have the engineering teams worked um, and the product and engineering teams have worked into factoring um, date time and multi-currency and how we write our addresses how the the local names appear last name first or the first name last either way that is a configurability in the product which a product manager and their dev teams are going to prioritize put on the roadmap and really work towards right once that configurability is built in is when you engage with in these with these groups to have internationalization built in and to have the product market fit customizations and to really bring that product through the through the content and through the localization to that localization strategy so that you convert the user into having a very delightful seamless native experience and and people normally talk about uh, something like uh, localization when there is a negative situation uh, something has broken or didn't work if product localization is done right what does it mean for a company in its image i think we talked about that earlier but i would like you to expand a little bit yeah um i would say in the perfect world where product localization has has been done right the end user is going to have a near native flawless experience and is going to be delighted by the product. They're going to believe that this product was developed for them, for their, um, in, you know, for the way they experience the product in terms of the way they read or the colors that are used in the product. Um, the messaging is customized for them to the extent if it is done right, even if the, you know, the, the company has to cannibalize on its own brand, own brand name, own brand image, own brand uh, logo, create a brand image for the regional market where they will garner that adoption they will garner that instant um instant effortless uh, attraction for their product in the region that is the idealistic perfect way of uh, delivering product localization to the end user and i think that's where every organization wants to be i mean yeah 
of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a a lot of our listeners are language translation uh, company leaders and executives. What advice do you have for them listening to this show today about how they should prepare themselves for the product localization evolution that's happening across the board? So the one advice I do have for um, my colleagues on the vendor side is is something that is near and dear to me because that's what worked for me in my career and I took great pride in it as well is, especially when I was working on the vendor side, is to not think of myself as a language service provider. However, to to see myself as a language strategic partner. And that's the relationship I, you know, that's the attitude I approach that relationship with, even with my clients. And now on the buyer side and, you know, in my role, is to really empower and engage with my LSPs as my strategic partners, because guess what? They are experts in what they do and have that regional expertise in what they do. And in order for them to truly be a strategic partner, they need to understand my business challenge and not just think of it, you know, very short sighted as to, oh, what quality processes can you employ in the near term or what is the cost per word? They need to start thinking beyond that in terms of, hey, what are your regional SEO needs? Because SEO is um, is imperative to growth in terms of how um, the keywords appear in the regional search engines. And, um, you know, how can we partner better with providing with certain, um, certain testing processes or tools for UX, for your content team? And, and then start thinking far ahead into how can we provide value into you building your product or having the accessibility uh, built into your product to engage a wider segment of folks who have accessibility needs, really, and uh, provide that value to me as a strategic partner. Uh, absolutely. So on, on, on the same note, what advice would you like to share with your localization management colleagues and, and the buyer organizations about how they should treat product localization? Because uh, this area is fairly new. It is. It indeed is. And my advice to them although I'm still learning myself, I would say that, you know, be in the driver's seat of your own career um, because you are going to be your own best champion. Nobody else is going to do that for you. So be comfortable by being in a state of evolution, in a state of growth, in a state of learning and discomfort because um, your growth truly happens when, you know, you're uncomfortable because that's, that's a sign of growth that you're pushing your own limits and have curiosity for the ambiguity and excitement to promote your own cause because as I already you know mentioned we love what we do we're extremely right. passionate about our industry and we're just such a wonderful group of folks who are constantly you know building up each other and supporting each other so Uh, why not get excited for our cause that, hey, your biggest advocate is going to be a convert. So this is an excellent opportunity to convert people on the buyer side and, you know, your stakeholders into believing in your purpose. And people might not know the value you bring right from the right right off the bat. And um, they might they might be making assumptions or they might just be hesitant to ask. But change the narrative. I really want folks to feel feel empowered to share their opinion because I know we have an opinion because we are experts in what we do, right? I just want everyone to feel empowered enough to share their opinion and and to really encourage others to listen and to create that space for them to listen. Well said, Iti. Uh, I mean, those are very wise words. Uh, as we reach the end of this conversation, um, let me ask you one last question. Where do you see the future of localization in general? Are you excited about it? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I I love um I love this place of existence where I get to learn, where I get to be better, where I get to live my, you know, the vision and the mission of the company. I love a good, you know, uh, a mission for an organization and um uh, organization that leads with a mission is is so inspiring because that allows you to believe that you have uh, a value that you're delivering to a business, right? You're you're changing lives of people for the better. And um, and as far as the future of localization, I mean, there's no surprise there. It's it's uh, it's growing at an accelerated force uh, as speed as the world is becoming closer and closer. And you know, it's it's a huge globalization effort, especially because we're not having in-person experiences. We're having virtual experiences. 
which as a positive person, I like to see the silver lining in things. It has um, accelerated the need for connection and for businesses to operate in, in, in that space of connecting everyone um, through their product and services and the huge market opportunity that lies outside of their native market, right? Whatever they're building and existing. So there's, there's huge opportunity there. And, um, and yeah, I am super excited about the, the future of localization because I know uh, there's, there's a lot of growth and transformation that's coming and but I see it going in the right direction and in a direction where we'll all be connected and we'll all be um, able to better tell our stories and tell our narrative in the way we, we truly should. Uh, well, it, I really enjoyed speaking with you and I'm sure everyone who heard our discussion today had at least one takeaway from the many great insights that you offered. Let's do this again in the future and zoom in on some of the topics we covered today. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. This was a, a, a very fun conversation and I'm so glad I was able to share a little piece of what I do and, and things that I'm passionate about. So thank you so much for having me. As always, I reviewed three products relevant for folks working in the localization and translation industry. The first tool I'm going to review today is Calendly. It is a very neat application available for free to anyone which allows you to share a calendar online. People get to see your availability and book meetings in your calendar through a unique URL that you can share with your contacts or prospects. While the idea is great, I have heard from people that it sounds a little less friendly asking someone to go see my calendar and book some time. I personally do not use this and I don't think I would ask a potential client to go ahead and uh, see if I'm available at your desired time for a meeting. But I think it has its uses and I would give it an 8 out of 10 for for ease of use, intuitiveness, and price. The second tool I'm reviewing today is Canva. It is a relatively easy to use and somewhat free portal for creative content. Their pro package costs $17 per month and gives five licenses to hundreds of thousands of stock photos, templates, social media posts, and 100 gigabyte of storage space. If you are operating on a shoestring budget, you may find Canva very helpful and handy to implement small-scale marketing campaigns, develop sales collateral, and so on. I have used it a couple times and I recommend it. I give it a 10 out of 10 for ease of use, pricing, content, and relevance. Another interesting tool that I would like to look at is Google Keep. As an entrepreneur, project manager, or translator, you may have many things on your mind. This tool allows you to create to-do lists, notes, and other text and image-based content for easy retrieval. It is available for free from Google. It also has an app for download on iOS and Android, which syncs all your content across all devices. Google Keep is highly recommended, and I give it a 10 out of 10 for how useful, relevant, simple, and intuitive it is. There you have it. My conversation with E.T. was an interesting one and certainly full of insights and learnings. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm hoping you are able to pick up a couple of takeaways to apply to your business and the way you do things. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your favorite platform. Keep your comments and constructive criticism coming. It helps to know what you're thinking and how this show can be improved. Give a 5-star rating to this show on the platform that is serving you this content. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.